Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless Possible. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Zara McDonald, that would be you. My intonation pattern really got lost there. (laughs) You didn't stick to the normal intonation. Sometimes I just forget how we typically do it. Also, hello, producer Annabelle Lee. What a clusterfuck of an intro for everyone. (laughs) Hello, everyone. (laughs) Coming up on today's show, the New York Times has officially jumped on the Matilda Jerf bandwagon. Harry Jousey's determined to sleep with more people than his mum did. It appears Abby Chatfield and Conrad Bien-Steven are over. Andrew Tate has been deplatformed by just about every social media site under the sun. Brooklyn Beckham has been slammed again. And then, finally, the return of the shameless mailbag. What exactly should you do if your best friend's fiancé confesses his undying love for you. That is so fucking <laughs> messy. But first, Zara, how was your week? Yeah, not a bad week. Lots of uh, tech headaches in the shameless office, which oh. you would think sometimes in this job, I think I've been doing this for how long? Four and a half years. How am I still constantly out of my depth with technology? Some might listen to Shameless and think, well, the girls do this 24-7. They must know something about putting a podcast out into the world. You would be shocked how very little we know about this industry still. Still? we Like got- microphones still really do baffle us and give us a lot of headaches. Yeah, we got new mics this week, couldn't put them together, had to do some stuff for our podcasting hosting platform, which also doesn't make sense to anybody, <laughs> which also means that we're not entirely sure this episode will reach anyone's ears. Well, look, yesterday we had to do a thing. We won't get into the specifics. It's we had so to do a boring. thing that we were told would take like a few hours. At the time of recording, it has been like, what, 18 hours? And we're on step one of three. Will this episode ever get to anyone's ears? Who knows? If you're listening, we've clearly sorted something out. And we will be as relieved as anything. (laughs) Have a drink for us, even if it's seven o'clock in the morning. Other than that, a pretty uneventful week, Mish. I do have a recommendation for you because it's so funny with recommendations at the moment because we spend so much of our time working really far ahead for scandal. Yes. Often further ahead than anyone would ever realise. I spend my days in rabbit holes that will only make sense to our listeners much later. I have spent a great deal of time in the last week in a Nancy Myers rabbit hole going through Nancy Myers movies. I mean, Nancy Myers is an icon. Her mm. films are iconic. Give me some of them. <laughs> no, I'm because I'm, I'm, I actually was a deliberate test because uh, Michelle has been staring at me blankly. Look, okay. I know that she's associated with iconic films and I want to say films that were big in the 90s and noughties and I'm going to go for a rom-com slant. Would it be incorrect of me to say that she's associated with like maybe like a love actually? Uh, no. No, that's a British guy, right? Yeah, not her. I'm going to guess Sleepless in Seattle. Uh, I mean- While you were sleeping. <laughs> Um, uh, (laughs) Look, I've only got a few at the top of my head, so this is an absolute train wreck of a conversation to start. She wrote stuff like Father of the Bride, The Holiday, The Parent Trap. Oh, The Holiday. 
I was it's complicated. Something something's got to give. I was thinking of something with like a British slant and the holiday has an amazing British slant. That's you, where I was going you, for. You were so half there. <laughs> you really were. So I found myself in a massive Nancy Myers rabbit hole because she is widely regarded as one of the greatest female filmmakers of all time. And I was like, why don't I listen to more of her stuff, read more of her interviews? I have two quick Nancy Myers related things that I want to recommend if that's okay and not especially too niche. Very Zara of you, yes. One was an interview that she did in Vulture. It was a Q&A, I think it was the end of 2020. And she told the story of the release of The Holiday and said that it was the world's biggest flop when it hit cinemas. <gasps> and I never realised that. She said that she couldn't get onto anyone for days from the marketing department of this film because it was doing so badly that people didn't want to talk to her. Right. It was a massive sleeper hit. How is that possible because it is such a hit? Now, I'm also w- wanting to be like a bit self-aware for those listening internationally. The holiday is not called the holiday in every country. I think it's called Four Holidays or Four Dates or something. It's the one with Jack Black, Kate Winslet, Jude Law and Cameron Diaz and it is like a fucking banger as far as movies are concerned. <laughs> I was so surprised by that. So that interview is amazing because there are little tidbits like that. The other thing that I want to recommend, I actually – read this in 2020. I think I would have posted it to my stories at the time, but I reread it last night and I thought, this is one of the great pieces of writing. It's really short, really snappy. It is called Life Isn't Like the Movies, Even If You Write the Movies. And she wrote a piece for the New York Times coming into her 70th birthday and finally reconnecting with her ex-husband because their daughter was getting married. This is such a good piece. You recommended this to me at the time and I read it and it's epic. I reread it again and I thought, what a fucking beautiful story. It's basically written as if it was the plot of a rom-com because she's clearly the rom-com queen and it is how she said to him after all these years of them not really having a relationship hey can you give me a lift to our daughter's wedding and she sort of talks about what it's like finally reimagining what their relationship can be like so many years after divorce so I need to reread that you do I it's not long you and I like were very into that story at the time. It's yeah. really short, really snappy, but I thought, God, sometimes I look at pieces of content and I think that's beautiful and smart. Aww. So that's my stuff for this week. How are you? How was your week? What do you got for me? Well, my week was the same as yours. Before yes. we jumped on the mic, you're like, what are you talking about from your week? And I was like, oh, I'll talk about the tech issues. And then you started talking about your week. <laughs> <laughs> all of my stuff. I, I had nothing else, so I just stole yours. <laughs> that was my week as well. I do have a recommendation. Have you guys seen the hype on social media about Untold, The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist. It's a Netflix documentary. I've never heard of it. How have you missed this? You're big on Twitter and this is all over my Twitter feed. Yeah, not my algorithms then. Okay, so a lot of the listeners know that here at Shameless, we do have like a keen interest in sport and sports stories. You and I love basically every sport under the sun, Zara McDonald. The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist is a two-part documentary series under a bigger banner. Untold is kind of the banner that does lots of different stories. There's two episodes that I recommend here. It's about an NFL player in the US and the hoax that his girlfriend died on the same day as his grandmother. I'm not going to give any more detail. I, know I don't f- think you need to. I know. F- that's the thing, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even need to fucking sell you guys on this. I can just kind of leave the podcast studio now and know that people will go listen. I also know for a fact listeners who have watched this will be listening to this, nodding along. It is just a wild ride. Like Mitch and I were watching it this week and just thinking, what is actually happening? Like what is going on? So – fascinating fascinating documentary always need to give the disclaimer it's very american it's very sensationalized but i'll give it a green tick so how long are the episodes i don't know which is always the sign of a great documentary yeah nice i'll take that as an answer they could genuinely be anywhere in the realm of 20 minutes to an hour and a half each i don't know you and your memory (laughs) yeah (laughs) i i've learned more as i've grown up there's not a whole lot of thoughts going on in my head. I'm just kind of here for the vibe. No, you're more like you live quite presently because you don't remember anything. <laughs> I remember nothing. I don't know what I'm doing in like half an hour's time. I'm just in this moment. That's true because you don't plan forward. You don't look back. <laughs> no. You're just here. I think that's a wonderful, you know, all mindfulness teachers listening would think that is wonderful, Michelle Andrews. <laughs> and I was completely different. When I was really struggling with anxiety, I was a very different person. I'm clearly doing okay because yeah. I'm just right here right now. We love it. Anyway, <laughs> let's let's keep rolling in the right here right now, shall we? Let's jump into the first segment of the show because we are, of course, starting with the fact that the New York Times profiled Matilda Jerf this week, making her 
Bigger than the household name she already was on TikTok, really pushing her into the mainstream, hey? Yeah, exactly. If you haven't heard of Matilda Jerf, she is a 25-year-old former model. She's an influencer based in Sweden. And in 2019, she and her partner founded the clothing line Jerf Avenue. Now, that is a business projected to make $22 million this year. As you said, Zara, she is big on TikTok Household name, I'm not sure if I'd go that far. I feel like maybe she's a household name with women in our demographic, but it will be very interesting to poll people on your say Friday tomorrow, if this episode goes out, and see, see, do they actually know the name Matilda Jeff? Because I actually think she's huge, but only in a very niche corner of the internet. You could be right. Sometimes when you're in your own algorithm, you think that is the whole world. (laughs) And often it is not. I think what's interesting, because I think Matilda Jeff has an influence on a particular demographic that is unrivaled, right? Even if you're right and she's not really reaching people outside her own demo yet, the impact that she has on the people that follow her is quite wild. And I think it's quite interesting because the New York Times did write in their piece on her that was released last week, the extent of Miss Jeff's influence can't fully be gleaned from a list of easily digested numbers, which I think is absolutely true. She has about 2.6 million followers on Instagram and a million followers on TikTok. I don't think there are many people internationally who would speak about on this show with that kind of following. Yes, it's big. But, like, there are a lot of people with that many followers. Yeah, well, it's funny. If you ever go on the website Social Blade, which is essentially like a data-cutting tool across social media platforms, if you enter someone's profile, it will come up with where they rank in the world in terms of follower count. And Matilda Jeff, yes, I looked it up, actually ranks like 320,000th in the world. So it's not like Matilda is the biggest. She is somehow one of the most influential, though. Yeah, I think particularly her hair. I think her hair has had a huge impact on how people are trying to have those huge bouncy blowouts, myself included. (laughs) I'm a 28-year-old trying to emulate a 25-year-old. But I think in terms of style on her particular demographic too, I mean, you see jokes all over TikTok and Instagram at the moment that this is the generation of young women who are going out to nightclubs in oversized blazers and oversized suit pants. And that just like is, I think, not entirely, Matilda Jeff, but she's definitely at the top of spearheading that movement. Yeah, well, she's almost become the face of like, as you said, the 70s bouncy blow wave, the well-cut blazer, the very well-cut pants, the perfect glowy skin. She's somehow made that look her look. And when you see people wearing outfits like that, you instantly think of Matilda Jeff. It's interesting because One of the main trends on my TikTok for you page right now is a group of girls getting together. Oh my gosh, same. Say it's at brunch or they're going out to a nightclub, right? (laughs) Annabelle's looking at us they're like, first of all, have you heard of Matilda Jones? I have, but she doesn't come up on my for you page. Gotcha. Okay. Well, this trend is a bunch of girls getting together. They pan their camera across the room. Like they give you a real good look at every girl's outfit. And then they say, guess the friend who's never heard of Matilda Jeff. And it's always really obvious because that friend is wearing, number one, colour, which Matilda Jeff doesn't really (laughs) tend to wear. And she's not wearing like, you know, a billowy shirt or she doesn't have the bouncy blow waves. Like she's in something completely different, whereas every other girl doesn't look like a clone of the next one. I think clone would be fair. Mm. I think we've all been clones of each other at some point in time. We are, None of us really have that original. No shame in the clone game. <laughs> no shame in the clone game. I think the other thing that's very interesting when you consider the fact that her influence certainly feels, at least anecdotally, far bigger than numbers on the page, is a quote from a woman named Chelsea Divignon, who's a senior strategist focused on youth trends at a fashion agency. She was interviewed in this New York Times piece, right? And she was talking about how someone like Matilda Jeff, who again only has a million followers on TikTok, is suddenly being interviewed by the New York Times. And she said she doesn't flood her feed with other brands or sponsored content. Instead, she offers an effortlessly cool lifestyle that doesn't feel too out of reach. There's a couple of things I want to unpack here with that quote because I thought it was pretty bang on. Firstly, I wonder if influencers actually do pull away from doing sponsored content if their influence is going to skyrocket because their engagement will skyrocket. Mm. If influencers suddenly have really successful brands themselves and don't need to rely on the stream of income that is influencing, I actually wonder if that would be better for their overall influence a la Matilda Jeff because when I started thinking about it, I thought – I've actually never seen her do an ad. Yeah, no, that's so true. I guess my point to that would be so many people try and launch businesses and 
almost none of them even compare to Jerf Avenue. Yeah. Like Matilda Jerf happens to be a great influencer and happens to be a very savvy businesswoman. How often do those traits neatly overlap? I don't think they almost ever do. Yeah, that's also probably very true. I think the other thing to consider in this quote is that idea that she is aspirational without feeling too out of reach. And on a surface level, if I look at Matilda Jerf's page, I think, well, she is so aspirational, like this looks nothing like my life. But then there must be an element of it only being mildly out of reach because why else do we all follow and try to emulate, right? In order to emulate, you must look at a photo of an outfit she wears and think, I can do that too. And I know I look at outfits she wears and think to myself, I can pull that off. And then I put it on and it doesn't quite look like that. No, because the whole vibe is effortless, right? Like she's never like wearing a ton of makeup. She's always just got this kind of like beachy, sun-kissed vibe. She's got the whole like tussled hair, but not a heap of effort's been put into it. She's got the like well-cut shirt, but it's not as if I'm trying too hard vibe. So it's always that that kind of energy of a little bit out of my reach. If I just do my hair that way, if I just get this vitamin C product, if I just, I don't know, buy a Dyson Airwrap, I will be Matilda Jerf or I will tap into whatever she's tapping into. But we can't. We will always yeah. fall short. And I think both of us sitting here, Zara, have tried. I've looked at stuff that she's worn and gone, okay, so the blazer with the, <laughs> the mini. The mini and the <laughs> knee high boots. Yeah. Gotcha. I can do that. And then I put it on. I'm like, it's fine. It but works. it's not the Tilda Jerk. <laughs> it's not Tildy Jerk. It's like it's Tilly is just not Tillying. It, <laughs> it's not. It's not at all. And I think what else was fascinating about this piece, Annabelle, I don't know if he read it, but the quote that the journal chose to end on, because you and I were both like, what an interesting place to end. I mean, it's never an accident what a journo chooses to use at the end of their piece, the mm. last pull-out quote. And this is what journo Elizabeth Payton decided to use at the end of this New York Times piece. And as I said, it is a quote from Matilda herself. I get so many compliments and connections from all over the world from my hair, which is so nice. But sometimes messages will be something else, which can make me feel bad. They'll say, oh my God, I cut my bangs just like you and it does not look the same at all. I find that really interesting. And I think it really does, again, hark back to that je ne sais quoi. Matilda Jerf has that completely undefinable quality that we can all look at her and go, okay, so like list all of the beautiful traits about her or list everything that we find engaging, we find alluring about her. And on the page, we go, okay, that makes sense. But even if you try and emulate that, you'll still be missing something. Like the ingredient, it's like the fucking secret herbs and spices of KFC. Like (laughs) no one really knows what the ingredient is with Matilda Jeff, but it's completely immaterial what she has or what she's doing that so many women find completely endearing. Well, I think it's like to get that famous or that big for anything, and I think we have spoken a bit about this over the course of doing this show, is that you do have to have, I mean, you say je ne sais quoi, which is a bit Frenchy, a bit chic. I'm just going to say pizzazz because it's a way more bogan <laughs> way of putting it. But it's like you've got to have something. Like you have to have an X factor yeah. that nobody else has. I want to talk to you about one more thing before we wrap this up because when we both – sat down at our desks the other day and spoke about the fact we'd read this story. We both had this innate similar gut reaction, which I was really interested in. And it was that idea that instead of feeling really excited for Matilda Jeff that this feature was in the New York Times, which it's certainly exciting, it's huge, we both somehow felt a little bit of dread. Yeah. Because we were both like – the minute you give someone a profile in the New York Times, particularly a young woman at 25, and you say making Matilda Jeff a household name, the minute you give her a pedestal to fall from and people will try to pull her down. Yeah, I think it was that headline that you just read out, making Matilda Jeff a household name. Like I don't know if it's us being Australian and being really like familiar with tall poppy syndrome. I think anyone listening will know that that is – kind of a trademark for Australia. We yeah. love our tall puppy syndrome. I don't know what it is, whether it's the fact that she's a woman in the public eye or perhaps that we've just seen other women go before her and kind of experience this meteoric rise to public adoration to then be pulled down for something difficult to even understand months or years later. Like I know that Matilda Jerf is not a Jennifer Lawrence. I know she's not an Anne Hathaway, but we've seen women be dubbed the like the it girl, the cool girl, the girl of the moment that everyone aspires to be, only to then 
have that real flip and no one really knows what the flip is. Everyone just knows that the reason we loved someone 12 months ago is the reason that we now deride them, the reason that we now find them annoying, whatever. And when I read this, I did think, oh God, it's setting up Matilda Jeff for a fall. And unfortunately, I have already felt that on social media already. I felt like over the last few weeks, I've been seeing videos pop up in my feed about like, why Matilda Jerf is somehow overrated or why someone doesn't like her products or why someone is having problems with Jerf Avenue, the brand. And as much as maybe the Jerf Avenue complaints can be one thing and we can put them in one basket and go, okay, well, that's a product consumer complaint. It's just a tale as old as time. Yeah, it is a tale as old as time. And I think for me, it's like, we definitely expect the people that we follow or the people in the public eye, particularly, you know, young influencers that we follow to be like absolutely everything to us. Like we have this over expectation of who they're going to be. And like, I, I think that's a real problem here because someone like Matilda Jeff, who we, we raised up as quote unquote perfect was never going to be perfect. Reminds me when we sat down with Aisha D on Shameless In Conversation years ago. And she said that one quote that she lives by is that you're never as good or as bad as people say you are. It's like, we really should take that attitude with the people that we follow to be like, they're probably not as good nor as bad as I think they are. They sit somewhere in the middle. But the minute we have that binary of they're amazing or they're awful, we really set people up to fail. Like it's a really terrible attitude that we have. Well, we lose the grit that this person is actually human and just as fallible as we are and just as capable of mistakes as we are and unfortunately it would just be the least surprising thing in the world if people start to come for her I hope that is not the case I hope that doesn't eventuate but unfortunately I feel like our bar for public figures is exceptionally high and I wish I think the other thing that makes me sad is I wish I could have just seen this headline and not felt that innate dread like I wish that Mm. wasn't my knee-jerk reaction I wish I could have seen her succeeding killing it having built an incredibly impressive business for herself at 25 and thought she deserves this because she does because she's she is this is the thing she is amazing but you you should be able to acknowledge that someone's incredible and does have je ne sais quoi or the x factor or what did you say yes thank you (laughs) without deifying them it's like when we deify someone we treat them as otherworldly we treat them as beyond human of course they're gonna fall from that you can say someone's an incredible human without acting like they are beyond human fallibilities, right? Yeah, to argue against myself just very quickly, maybe people would say this about Emma Chamberlain. I mean, she was on magazine covers being called the most popular girl in the world. And we haven't seen that pushback yet against her. So could they both be immune? Well, (sighs) Emma Chamberlain pulled herself off YouTube for a long time. She stopped doing her podcast for a long time. She was saying it was because of... I guess the windiness of climbing to the top of a hill and feeling like people wanted to pull you down or feeling like it just got too much. So while we might not have seen the pushback against Emma Chamberlain. Emma Chamberlain probably has. She probably has experienced it and she definitely took a step back. I almost feel like when you get to this point of this level of adoration and being crowned the it girl, you almost have to step back from day-to-day posting. You almost have to kind of give less and less of yourself because the more you continue to give, the more the public feels incentivized to find something wrong with what you've said. Coming up after the break, Andrew Tate is deplatformed. Brooklyn Beckham has put his foot in his mouth again. And then the return of the shameless mailbag. But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Michelle. Oh, oh she's faltering. No, she's I'm stumbling. Not. I'm taking my time. Dramatic pause. This is like a <laughs> slow fall when it's happening in slow motion. Je ne sais quoi. What have you got for me? My first story. Roxy Jasenko defends lavish $40,000 party for daughter Pixie 11. That is from news.com.au. Welcome back to shameless Roxy Jasenko. I feel like it's been a while. It has been a while. I don't think we've mentioned Roxy on the show for maybe 12 months or more. For those who aren't aware of who Roxy is, a lot of people refer to her as a PR maven. Yes, that's what I called her when my boyfriend asked me who she was this week. She's a PR maven. She's a PR maven. He goes, right. And I thought, 
You're right. That doesn't really make that much sense. <laughs> I'm pretty sure everyone hears that and goes, yeah, whatever. That, that <laughs> kind of sums it up. PR Maven, but she's had an interesting time in the public eye, like when her husband went to jail and yes. then she got breast cancer very sadly and then there were photos of her with her ex. Like it's been it's been a ride. It's been a total ride. She is 42 now. She's an entrepreneur and influencer. She does have 264,000 followers on Instagram. So she's got quite the following there. Now, she is back in the news cycle this week because she reportedly threw a $40,000 birthday party for her 11-year-old. And people were unhappy about that, but I cannot find in my weak little heart to find any bloody outrage for this. People are so mad. I just can't find the outrage. I've been looking. I've been digging. It's not there. The older we get, the less angry we get, I think. I'm just like, oh. (laughs) Anyway. In case you want a rundown on this $40,000 11th birthday party. It was a lot. The theme was neon disco. Some referred to it as nightclub theme. I think Roxy did say it's disco theme, which is a bit more appropriate. That's fine. Uh, It was apparently held by an events company in a Sydney space. It was this kind of club where they had fire breathing entertainers, a DJ, personal hairdressers on hand to give every child a hair change (laughs) mid-party, which just feels so fucking like, give me that at my next party. (laughs) They also had a mocktail station and people were pissed. This was posted all over Instagram and people were not happy. Some of the comments that news publications reported on included, what a joke. Talk about teaching such bad lessons and expectations (laughs) to some people have too much money and out of touch with the real world, spoilt to the max, And then disgusting amount of money to spend on a birthday party. Now, I agree with you, Zara. I I understand there is a conversation here about wealth disparity, right? Like some people are very wealthy. Some people are not very wealthy. There are very few people in Australia who would be dropping 40K on an 11th birthday party. But as far as rich people are concerned and the way that rich people tend to spend their money, do I have a sell that is outraged in my body over kids enjoying a party with a fucking personal hairdresser? <laughs> Not really. If, if a really rich person is going to spend 40K on making a bunch of 11-year-olds have the best time ever, I really couldn't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, I'm just struggling to care that much. I mean, good on them. Speaking to today in the midst of the backlash, Roxy did say... It was a celebration of not only her 11th birthday, but also her business. (laughs) She has a toy business. She started it in the pandemic and it went gangbusters. It is a celebration and no, I am not low key, but it was a celebration because she has done so well. I just like... I forgot about... Presented without comment. Presented without comment. I just think... Whatever. It was a celebration of not only her 11th birthday, but her business. Girl boss Pixie. (laughs) I'm picturing her in a little suit with like a blow away. That could be genuinely straight out of Black Mirror. Like, come on. It is a bit Black Mirror. (laughs) My second story. Harry Jousey revealed his fuck telly and OnlyFans earnings and both are honestly eye-watering. That is from Pedestrian. Who else would give us a headline like that? Yeah, look, we actually haven't spoken much about Harry Jowsey on this show, given he is Australian and, like, globally famous. Our listeners might remember he was actually part of the first season of Too Hot to Handle. Which what was, a show. Did you watch it, Annabelle? I did watch it. I think we all did because we were at the beginning of lockdown. Just season one, though. The other yeah. seasons were nowhere near as good, but Harry was very good on season one. Yeah, and if you don't know what the premise of that show was about, producers basically got a whole bunch of single people from across the world on to an island extremely hot single encouraged them to hook up but then also told them that the prize money of a hundred thousand dollars at the end of the show would be slowly deducted from or quickly deducted from throughout the course of the show if they even touched each other yeah the biggest deductions were for having sex and as far as trash tv goes this is on one side of the spectrum as people can imagine but it is so fucking good to watch it was an incredibly juicy season now harry jowdy appeared on the kyle and jackie o show this week to discuss a whole array of things including sex work too hot to handle and as written by pedestrian his overwhelming body count, also known as the number of people he's boinked. Boinked? Boinked. Ooh. I thought it was bo- not bonked, no? But they put <laughs> an, an eye in there? There's an eye in there. Boinked, okay. I would say bonked though. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You looked at me and I was like, am I the only I, one? But I was actually just reporting what the journalists had reported. Boinked. Now, I the interview was 
a little strange. I'm not going to talk about all of it because I am still shook that a lot of these convos made mainstream breakfast radio, (laughs) truthfully. But he did speak about how many people he has slept with. Now, there is obviously conversations to be had about what we think about people who have a tally of people they've slept with. But alas, this is what Pedestrian wrote of him giving those quotes. According to the Queensland-born model, entrepreneur and shirtless pick-taker, his body count since somewhere above the 200 mark. That is over 200 women in his 24 years of life. Wild. <laughs> he also revealed that his goal was to beat his mother's body count, which was also in the 200s. Some great mother-son bonding. <laughs> I do not wish to explore this any further than I already have, has read the quote. How do you know your parents' body count? And like... Why do you want to beat it? Like, it's one thing for your mum to say, son, in my time, I boinked (laughs) 200 people. And then for you to go, thank you, mother. Thank you for telling me what a bonding moment. It is now my life mission to beat that. Now that you've passed me the baton, I'm going to take it and run. I mean, good on them both. I don't get it at all, but sure. Sure. (laughs) My third story. Abby Chatfield breaks silence on reported split from Conrad Bien-Steven. That is from Yahoo. A big local story, guys. On Monday, the Daily Mail published a story that Abby Chatfield, very famous Bachelor alumni, has split from her partner, Conrad Bien-Steven, who is also from The Bachelor. Yeah, exactly. So as we know, the couple have been together since November and opened up their relationship in February. They've been quite public about their relationship over the last sort of 10 or so months. Now, in that piece you just mentioned, Mish, in the Daily Mail, here's a passage. Two separate sources confirmed the breakup to Daily Mail Australia, revealing Conrad had told his co-stars on the set of Channel 10's upcoming reality TV series, The Challenge, he was newly single. The former Bachelorette star, 32, then reportedly hooked up with Bachelor alum Megan Marks during filming of the show in Argentina. Now, this is even messier, right? I feel like with every Bachelor breakup story, there's always like a bit of like incestuous bachelor stuff yes. going on. Because Megan Marks, as we know, is another bachelor star. Megan was first on Richie Strawn's season of The Bachelor in 2016. That year, she was then dating Tiffany Scanlon, another Bachelor contestant from the same season. Then she went on Bachelor in Paradise in 2018 and dated another Bachelor star, Jake Ellis, and they were on again, off again for like a couple of years. Yeah, they were together for a few years. Now, the source told the Daily Mail, there's a lot of drama on the set of the show. People who are recently in serious relationships are rooting other people. (laughs) Boinking. Boinking other people in the space of two or three days. It is crazy. Who is telling the Daily Mail that? Like, do you have a theory on this? Yeah, it's the producers of the challenge, surely. Oh, you're just going to go out and be like, it's them. Yeah, absolutely. How else can they be so sure of this breakup? Abby and Conrad haven't acknowledged this. We'll get to Abby's response in a second. But I think for me, I'm like, not many people have really been talking about the challenge given how many former reality stars they've got. I think the other thing for me as well is I remember the other week we were sitting at our desks looking at the Daily Mail (laughs) for research work purposes and they had published pap photos of contestants at the airport. So they obviously had tipped off paps then and are leaking stories now. Yeah, because who else, like who has a vested interest here in this particular story about the challenge making the media? The only people under the sun that I can think of are the people who have a vested interest in the challenge doing well in ratings. And if I know that within a few days, what was the quote? People are rooting each other like crazy. Then I'm going to be watching this. I want to watch it now. Oh, well, I wouldn't typically, but now it sounds like The Bachelor in Paradise under a different name and I'm on board for that. Well, who else is leaking it as well because who else is there? Like yes. these contestants are all in Argentina. And they don't have their phones. If you're filming a reality show, I'm, I mean, I don't quote me on this, maybe they do, but they're certainly not supposed to be speaking to media. There are quite tight restrictions with what they can and can't do while they're filming and when the show is coming out. Yeah, exactly. Now, Abby actually responded to this on Instagram. She posted an Instagram story saying, hey, I've seen the articles about Conrad. He is out of the country, so I won't be commenting on anything until he's home. Can everyone not be so dramatic and please relax? Both of us are totally okay. This says to me that I'm pretty sure they probably have broken up. They can't communicate because he doesn't have a phone. She's not just going to release a breakup statement without his consent on that. So hey, I'm just going to like do the quiet thing and just sit this one out. Yeah, it's pretty mature. A lot of people have been saying, well, they're in an open relationship. Abby and Conrad have spoken a lot about their open relationship. This is probably just part of that. 
her statement means they haven't broken up. I read it very differently. Also, I think if you look back at the rules that they set for their open relationship, there's not really any chance in my head that he's doing this while in a relationship with Abby Chatfield. Like one of their rules was it can't be someone multiple times, it can't be a friend. Or someone we know or, or something. someone we know, yeah. Megan Marks would not fly by the standards of that open relationship. I think probably what's happened here is they have split before he's left for the show. They haven't formally decided how they're going to announce that to the world and she's now waiting for him to get back to be like, right, what's the statement? What are we saying to people? Because a lot of people are invested in us. I do love, though, that she said, can everyone relax? Because that was probably me. I needed to relax and like, get oh. some perspective. <laughs> I think we all did. <laughs> My fourth story, a really quick one, guys. Andrew Tate banned from Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. That is from Rolling Stone. Everyone's favourite slash least favourite sparkly water enthusiast and hater of women, Andrew Tate, has been booted from social media this week. Yeah, so he's been booted from Facebook and Instagram as a consequence of violating their content policy. A Facebook spokesperson told Rolling Stone on Monday, very soon after that, YouTube announced that he had disabled his channels for multiple violations of which I... Um, seem glaringly obvious. <laughs> His Twitch channel is no longer accessible on the platform. And over on TikTok, pro Tate videos are reportedly being deprioritized. Yeah, essentially, he's been deplatformed in the space of a few days. In response to this move by many social media platforms, a spokesperson, an unnamed spokesperson for Tate, said this. There is running contradiction in today's society where men are encouraged to speak and be open slash honest with how they feel, but are generally met with a negative response to their truth. Banning Andrew Tate from these platforms might seem the answer, but it isn't that simple. Removing Tate's voice doesn't allow for a kinder, hate-free society. I think that's exactly what it does. (laughs) Let's keep in mind this is the man who said he wanted to date 18 to 19-year-olds because they've and I quote, been through less dick and are easier to, again, I quote, imprint. Yes. So, I mean, good on the social media platforms for finding ways to do this because I think it was probably the only answer. Yeah, a pretty emphatic approach and a pretty impressive one. Our fifth story, Brooklyn Peltz Beckham is being roasted on TikTok after he was stopped in the street and asked what he does for a living. That is from BuzzFeed, guys. I can't believe it. Brooklyn Beckham has somehow ended up in Shameless again. (laughs) Is this like the third or fourth episode in a row? I think if we had a tally of celebrities being mentioned in episodes in 2022, Brooklyn would have to be up there on the list like top three I kind of want to do like an award system at the end of the year yes who got like, the most mentions or, or just like rising star of the show because <laughs> I think it's Brooklyn <laughs> anyway it turns out after last week's episode where we spoke about that interview that he did with Variety and sort of accidentally fanned the flames of the rumoured feud between his wife and his mother Brooklyn has landed himself in another PR crisis now if you're not on TikTok on TikTok, the, the <laughs> app, there's a guy or creator by the name of Daniel Mack. Now, Daniel has essentially built a following of 13 million people with this really simple shtick, right? He just visits wealthy areas and goes up to anyone driving a really expensive car and asks them what they do for a living. And it's like, it's a pretty good idea. It's an amazing idea. And when you watch the video across the screen, you'll see what the car's make, model and price is. So you're watching me like, how did this person afford a $550,000 car or what have you? What's interesting about the video where Daniel Mack approached Brooklyn Beckham is that Brooklyn Beckham was driving one of the most expensive cars I've seen in this series, full stop, a $1.2 million McLaren P1. I didn't know cars could be that expensive, truthfully. No, I totally agree with you. Now, when Daniel Mack went up to him and say, hey, what do you do for a living? Your car's awesome. Brooklyn replied saying, I'm a chef. (laughs) Now, when Daniel Mack pressed a little more and said, are you like the best chef in the world? (laughs) Brooklyn replied, trying to be. Now, people found this hilarious for multiple reasons, right? First and foremost, Brooklyn Beckham definitely has a $1.2 million car because he is the son of David and Victoria Beckham and the husband <laughs> of Nicola Peltz Beckham. Like, let's not beat around the bush. Yeah, his parents are worth $450 million. His wife's family is worth over a billion. I don't think his chef career has earned a cent yet based on what I'm seeing online. Maybe it's earned a few thousand here and there from Spawn Con deals. Also, he's not a chef. He's not a chef. <laughs> Can we talk about calling yourself a chef? Because... To be a chef, surely 
the hurdle that you must surpass is that you get paid by people to make them food. No, I think it's more than that. In I, a restaurant. I think you have to be in a restaurant and I think you almost either have to be part of a team or manage people. Like you look at people like Jessica Newen, for example, on Instagram. Who we adore. Who is amazing. And she puts even in her bio, and by the way, she's more successful as a chef or cook than Brooklyn Peltz Beckham, yeah. if I may. She'll have like home cook in her bio or something like well, that. Well, they're food content creators. Exactly. It's like Brooklyn Beckham's not a chef. He's barely a food content creator. <laughs> Are we being too harsh? Is the world turning on Brooklyn Beckham and being too harsh? I don't think so because I think there is a way to be a nepotism baby that people love. By the way, a couple of listeners have been coming to us saying, what is a nepo baby? What's a nepo baby? It's just a kid who's benefited from nepotism their entire life, a la Brooklyn Beckham. Kid of famous people. A kid of famous people. And there is a way to be a successful nepo baby that the public actually is really endeared to and adores. I would say one example recently is Hayley Bieber. And the reason we like Hayley Bieber as a nepo baby is because she's self-aware of the privilege that nepotism has afforded her. What we don't like in Brooklyn Beckham is that he seems completely... We. Also, <laughs> we are one. Yeah. What we sitting at this table, I know how we all feel about Brooklyn Beckham, struggle with is that he's the least self-aware person on the internet right now. What would have been so endearing and what would have made me think, fuck, Brooklyn Beckham's a legend, is if Daniel Mack approached him with that camera and said, oh my God, I love your car, a $1.2 million McLaren. What do you do for a living? And he turned and said... I'm the son of Victoria Beckham. <laughs> that would be epic. Because I'm not going to blame you for being the son. You had no control over whether you and were the who, son of who said no Beckham. to a 1.2 million dollar car? A hundred percent. No one would say no. But it's far more endearing to just point to your money and be truthful with where that comes from. On TikTok, so many rich people are trying to pass off their generational wealth. It's just something that they worked really hard for. It's like, we're not idiots. We yeah. know that you got that through inheriting it. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think poor old Brooklyn doesn't seem to have the most self-aware amount of bones in his body. <laughs> but, what an interesting way to work. Yeah, it wasn't the greatest wording of all. Um, but that's okay. Uh, he's not He's not on my good list. He's on my slipping list. I'm not going to lie. Do we have a favourite Nepo baby? I, I think Hayley Bieber's got to be it, right? What's the one that you like, Annabelle, that I like too? Maya Hawke. I like Maya Hawke. So, a daughter of? Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman. There she did a go. great interview on what? Jimmy <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> No, she was saying that like, oh, I get to, I'm lucky enough to get to ask for advice, yada, yada, from my very famous parents who are also actors. And it was like a beautiful interview. Yeah, it was really, really good. <laughs> Trust us. <laughs> Link in show notes. <laughs> hmm. You've got mail. Yes. Those are very powerful words. Alrighty, Annabelle. Michelle, but mainly Annabelle, we've got a mailbag. Are you ready to read it? I am ready. This mailbag reads, Hi girls, I've got quite the dilemma. One of my best friends is getting married to her partner of seven years next year. I'm a bridesmaid. I've known him for years too as we went to school together. We even went out briefly when we were 15. Ooh. The problem is he's always been a bit flirty towards me, commenting on how great I am and how good we were together. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> it's always been in front of her, so I've laughed it off. However, recently it got more intense. One night he showed up at my apartment unannounced at 1am, asking if we could go for a drink. I said no and didn't let him in. He then texted me saying he loved me. Right. We should get a drink that he's always fancied me, oh declaring God. it's always been me. He told me not to tell her. Obviously, I told her. Queen. <laughs> <laughs> I screenshotted the messages and showed her. She was really upset and talked about leaving him. However, he since talked her into staying, blaming what he said on being too drunk. Let me mm. add that she's also just had their second child. Fucking hell. So the wedding is going ahead and here comes my dilemma. That's the dilemma. That is yeah. the dilemma. Wait, wait, wait. This has all been a dilemma. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I obviously don't think she should marry him, but ultimately it's her choice. Do I suck up my feelings and be a supportive bridesmaid or do I tell her that I don't feel comfortable being her bridesmaid and she should pick somebody else? Thanks for your help. What a ride. What yeah, a that's ride. quite a dilemma. Where do we want to start? I think I want to start from the top of this, right? Because there's so much to unpack. I almost want to go line by line if that's all right with you. We've got time. <laughs> well, I think the first thing is like how would you feel if a friend's partner was flirting with you even if it was in front of your friend? I think it's a – a semi-relatable dilemma, right? Yeah. I think we've often, it hasn't happened to me in years, but there have been occasions where a friend of the person I'm dating 
has clearly been flirting with me. And I, I've been standing there going, I, this is flirting, right? Like I'm yeah. not misreading this, but I think a lot of women have experienced that. Have you guys been in the scenario where you've had a friend and their partner is a little flirty with you where you're kind of looking at them going, what, what is going on here? I actually don't know if I have, but I've seen it. I've definitely seen it happen around me. Like it's not an unusual thing. I think what's strange here is that these two have clearly dated before, even though they were just 15. So I don't know how I'd feel right Mm. if I was with someone who then joked to their ex, even if it was a 15-year-old ex, to be like, ha, we would be so much better off together should have been us. Have you had it happen, Annabelle? Oh, like probably, but I always, I think I like just. Obvious. Oh, like obvious. Obviously, have you seen me? Have <laughs> <laughs> you got eyes? <laughs> but I always just, I guess I would like give them the benefit of the doubt if they're typically yes. a flirty person. Because it's not like there's there's a green light and a red light with flirting. A lot of it's in the kind of amber, yes. amorphous mm. area where you're like, this feels like flirting, but it could be passed off as just friendly chat. Yeah. Some people have flirty personalities yeah. and would flirt with a lot of people. Like, yeah. And you know, then it's like not necessarily about you or an individualistic thing. It's just that that's how they are with everyone. Yeah. Okay. So if we've decided that's not really a problem in this case, like it's not an immediate red flag. Mm. I think what's interesting to me is like, if this happened to you, right, you have a friend's partner turn up at your doorstep at one o'clock in the morning and one say, morning. let's get a drink. Firstly, I'd freak the fuck out. And then oh, having sorry. those text messages, you'd have to show the friend, right? Like, I don't think there's any other option. No, I agree. I think it would be a huge betrayal if she didn't tell her friend. I'm really glad that she did. Like, it sounds like she did instantaneously, which was the right call. What I don't get about this, though, is the excuse from (sighs) this guy, this fiancé, to say, oh, I was really drunk. First of all, I kind of subscribe to the philosophy of drunk words and sober thoughts. So do I. You being drunk doesn't put random things into your head that you suddenly believe. I truly think drunkenness removes a social barrier like an etiquette barrier that stops you when you're sober and it just means that you act out in ways you wouldn't but those ways are still true to how you actually feel at your core yeah I think this is actually going to be a really interesting one for us to put to our listeners because I completely agree with you I've constantly lived by that idea of like I'm not just randomly saying things when I've been drinking that I don't some somewhere believe. There might be an overemphasis on how much I believe oh, it. I'm dramatic as fuck. When <laughs> right? I might be like, ooh, I probably didn't believe it to the extent that I said it. Yes. But there is some reason that that came out. It's a kernel of truth. Somewhere. What I'm saying. Yeah, so I think absolutely this guy is either in love with this friend or a classic asshole whose partner's just had a baby and he's wanting what he can't have. He, wa- he The grass is always greener. He wants the woman who hasn't just given birth. Yeah, I 100% agree. Which I think should be a crime. Yeah, it should be a crime. Let's actually throw these people in prison whenever it happens. I, I actually think it should be a crime. I oh, you are genuinely serious. Well, kind of. Okay, well, that's a conversation for another day. But I, I also think when it comes to this dilemma for me, it's like – so many little decisions led up to this being the scenario that we have in front of us, right? Like this guy was motivated enough to hop in an Uber or hop in a car or walk or whatever to get to this friend's house. He was motivated enough to walk up to her front door and knock on it at 1am. He was then motivated enough to send her a follow-up message professing his undying love for her and saying it was always her. This is a series of decisions. This isn't just some like 15 second text message that he did on a whim and then deeply regretted. This was a prolonged period of time where he made the decision that he was going to pursue this woman, which makes it even worse. Like sending a text message would have been bad, but the add up of little decisions that led to the big decision is pretty incriminating. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think when it comes to her actual dilemma of like, okay, well, what do I do now? I've told her she's got back with him. And I don't think when when you've got kids with someone, like I don't have kids with my partner. I don't know what that experience is like. I can imagine it's incredibly difficult to break up a relationship when you've got very young kids and you want to find ways to make it work. But I want to know what this listener does. Like, does she suck up her feelings and be a supportive bridesmaid? Or does she not? I am in two minds. I initially, when I read this, I was like, well, obviously you can't be a bridesmaid. Like, obviously that would be a ridiculous decision. But then the more I sat with that, I was like, well, are you not being a bridesmaid for who? Like, who are you making that decision for? If you want to be a supportive friend, this woman, your job was to bring this to her attention, to let her know it had happened. Your job as a supportive friend is to also let her make her mistakes and let her live her life in the way that she wants. And if she's turning to you and saying, on my wedding day, I want you there. 
I want you as a bridesmaid to be my supportive friend is to let me deal with this in the way I've chosen to deal with it and let me move on from it then maybe you actually should be the bridesmaid. But then I can imagine that would be an incredibly uncomfortable situation for everyone involved. Truthfully, if it were me and my intention was to make my friend feel loved and make her feel like I'm a supportive friend to her, I think I would be her bridesmaid, even if it put me in a really fucking weird position. I don't think she should be the bridesmaid. I honestly think the difference in this scenario to most other scenarios where it's like be the supportive friend, be the loving friend, is this woman has been put in, a, in an uncomfortable scenario too. Mm. Like this has happened to her too. She is central to this plot line, even though it's like a real plot line. But it's like I don't think we've left any space here for how deeply uncomfortable that scenario is to have someone turn up at your door, tell you they love you, and have and this have been a pattern over years. It's like if that was me, I'd be like, I don't want to be in this situation. Like this has been unfair to me too. Mm. And I think you're absolutely allowed to say, I want to be here on your wedding day. I will support you for whatever your choice is. But I cannot center myself in this day right now because I've been put in this scenario too. He has put me in this scenario too. I get you in theory, in the real light of day, if this woman retracts being a bridesmaid, how much attention does that draw to this situation for everyone involved? That's true. I actually think if she withdraws as a bridesmaid, that is a gossipy thing. I've had people in my life be demoted as a bridesmaid and that was like the best fucking gossip. Not in your team. Not in my my bride squad or what people call it these days. No, not personally. In my life, I have known of people who have been demoted as bridesmaids because they've had a falling out. And that is always a huge point of gossip. That is a huge point of like, the town getting together and discussing what happened. If this person removes herself, this listener removes herself as a bridesmaid, I actually think she's bringing more undue stress onto herself and more she's shining a spotlight on a situation that I actually don't think anyone involved wants a spotlight shone onto it. If she withdraws herself, everyone's going to ask why and eventually it will get out. Maybe, and but like that's up to her. Like she hasn't said here that she's necessarily stressed about that yet. She said, am I allowed to say that I don't want to be a bridesmaid. And my answer is absolutely you're allowed to She's say allowed that. to for sure. You're allowed to say that. You do, as you said, have to think about the consequences of that, right, and what that might do. If you're fine with that, go for your life. But I don't think this is as cut and dry as this listener having to constantly swallow this stuff. Yeah, no, she doesn't at all. I, I then would ask, though, if you want to remove yourself as a bridesmaid, totally fair enough. If that's what you want to do, do it. Should you even go to the wedding? Like, is there really that much of a difference between being a bridesmaid and being at the wedding and watching this happen and him knowing you're in the crowd? I think it's symbolic. I think it would be symbolic for me. Right. I think it's like not as black and white as being like, as a bridesmaid, I'm supporting this marriage 120%, but as a someone sitting in the pews, I'm supporting it 70%. I think it's just symbolic to say, I feel uncomfortable about this situation and I want to remove myself for a moment. Very interesting. It probably boils down to what function does being a bridesmaid serve? In my mind, it serves the function of being a, a supportive friend more than supportive of the relationship. Yeah, and I agree with that. But I also think it's like, does she have to be a supportive friend on this day when she's also been put in an uncomfortable scenario? Maybe the onus needs to be on the bride here. As she did, the situation is to her. Being a good friend in return would be the bride turning to this listener and saying, hey, I'm so sorry my partner did this to you, acknowledging the uncomfortable situation this listener is in and saying, if you don't want to be a bridesmaid, I totally understand. Like kind of being self-aware enough to preempt the situation that this listener is now in, that's on the bride in return. Yes, I think there needs to be more of a two-way street convo here rather than saying either one of these women need to own it, which is like the most unfair way to have this conversation, right? Because this guy has done something to both of them. Dickhead. And now they have to navigate where the onus is with the next steps, which feels deeply unfair. Well, the guy's in jail. We've already covered that. <laughs> He's in prison, so that's why we're not discussing When I'm him. president. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, that is all we've got got time for today thank you as always for listening if this episode got out (laughs) (laughs) everyone cross their fingers and toes we'll wait and see we are so grateful for you all listening come follow us on instagram at shameless podcast on tiktok at shameless underscore podcast all the links as always will be in our show notes annabelle lee anything to add oh i'm so glad you asked we've got book club on saturday we've got book club every time you (laughs) remind us we have book club we do have book club it's going to be an emotional one Mm, yes yes. it may well be that will drop on saturday thanks again guys be back in your ears on saturday bye bye (laughs) see ya bye (laughs) 
Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.